Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 603 with Liz Kislick. Liz is going to share how to ease the anxieties that often arise in workplace conflicts. You'll learn one, why you don't need to win every argument. Two, the trick to stopping conflict before it starts. And three, how to make allies at every level. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP603. Now here's Liz's story. Liz Kislick is a management consultant, executive coach, and facilitator. And for over 30 years, she's helped clients such as American Express, Orvis, the Girl Scouts, Comcast, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and Highlights for Children solve their thorniest problems while strengthening their top and bottom lines. Her specialty is developing high-performing leaders in workforces. She's a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, an entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker on why there's so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it and has served as adjunct faculty at Hofstra University and New York University. She's also written for the European Financial Review and The Forward. Big thanks to Liz for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Liz. Liz, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, Pete, I'm so happy to be with you. You know, I, I was intrigued to learn that your early career dreams included becoming either a rabbi or a pop star. Can you tell us about this? It seems quite strange to me reflecting back because I'm a very deep introvert. But there are ways in which I like an audience, When I was a kid, I thought being a rabbi was one of the coolest things you could do because you took care of so many people and you got to make these fabulous speeches and it just seemed good. But at that time, it was long enough ago that the conservative movement of Judaism was not ordaining women as rabbis. So that wasn't an option. And then when I was in high school, I started writing music and I had a band and I continued performing in college and basically did a show a semester, sometimes with a band, sometimes solo. And I thought I might do that until I realized that, first of all, there would just be way too much drugs and other things on the road for my sensibilities and also that you traveled all the time. So I decided it wasn't for me, but As a consultant, I travel all the time when it's not the pandemic anyway. 
Certainly. And you and you touch audiences. Yes. And specifically in the realm of conflict resolution, I'd love to start with all your years of work. What would you say is maybe one of the most surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive discoveries you've made about conflict? I think the thing that is so amazing is how most people really don't ever want to have any of it. And yet we're in it so much of the time. Well said. Well, and, and you said so much of it, so much of the time. Your TEDx talk is called uh, Why There's So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It. Lay it on us. Why is there so much conflict at work? Oh, because we all need different things and have to take care of different things. And if you think even just in terms of having your calendar match with somebody else's, it's just tricky. You know, there are so many ways we can vary in our opinions, positions, preferences, etc. The thing that is amazing, though, is that we don't consider it a conflict if it's easy and it doesn't feel bad. We just think we worked it out and it's fine. We have a schedule now. We consider it a conflict if we project certain ideas like the other person is trying not to give me what I want, or they're trying to make a problem for me, or they don't care about me, or they're against me. It's those ideas that make us feel bad, and then we say we're in conflict. Well, that's, that's a great insight. And, and I venture to guess, tell me this is your experience, that uh, most of the time, those things are not true. I would say most of the time, they're mostly not true. All right. Because... Once it starts to feel bad, people do get on each other's nerves and sometimes they don't mind, you know? Oh, it's like, I know you don't want to hear this, but uh, it's got to be said, so I'm going to say it. You nailed it. All right. That's exactly right. It's like, I'm so aggravated already that if I poke you a little in the process, I won't feel too guilty. That happens a lot, a lot, a lot. Or just think of the term personality conflict. A personality is not even physical, substantive thing. It is amazing. It is as if two emanations could leave our bodies and fight in the middle of the room somewhere, which on its face makes no sense at all. It's not that there is one personality that can never be at peace with this other personality. You know, that that's just not true. It's it's all the stuff we bring to it and layer on. Okay. Well, well so then uh, I'd love it before we get into the, the nitty gritty of, of, of how this is done. Could you share with us really, hey, wh what's at stake in, in terms of for professionals, if they, they've got a really great handle on conflict and managing it well versus not so well, what are the implications, repercussions? That is a wonderful question. It goes in two directions. First, I'm going to tell you about what people often think is at stake. All right. That they will lose face, that they'll lose status if they don't get the thing they want, that they'll have failed, that they owe it to themselves to triumph over the other person or other department. Those are the things we set up for ourselves. What's really at stake is that if we approach differences of opinion as if they are pitched battle, we end up not making progress, our initiatives stall out, our teams can become 
dispirited or demoralized, people start getting caught up in the smallest of petty grievances and weird details. Basically, good work stops and people get caught up in this idea that they have to fight somebody else. Okay. Well, th- there we have it. Th- those are pretty significant stakes. So let's do it well. So you've got a, a five-step process. Can you uh, walk us through what those steps are and maybe bring it to life with, with an example as we're walking through these steps? Sure. I'm going to sort of use the steps from the TEDx. I may modify them. We'll see. Oh, certainly. I, Your latest thinking. We'll take it. Yes. I think about it differently all the time. It depends on, you know, like the last one I saw or that kind of thing. But the first thing I talk about in the TEDx is that you have to rule out the possibility that whoever your opponent is actually is the cause of the conflict, either because there's something wrong with the way they're approaching things And this can be a real thing. If the person you're dealing with is actually incompetent, not skilled in the job, not skilled in interpersonal communication to an extreme extent, they really can be the cause of conflict. If somebody doesn't know the right thing, that can be a real problem. Or if for whatever odd reason in their history, experience, lifetime, whatever, If they truly behave badly, if there is someone who really is a bully, who is a lifetime narcissist, sometimes they can be the source of a problem themselves that has nothing to do with the work. And if that's the case, it is very, very hard to deal with that person. And if you are not the highest authority, you may need help from someone above you in the hierarchy to deal with this problematic person. But the majority of workplace conflicts are actually about the work, how we do the work, what we think we're responsible for, that kind of stuff. It's not about a bad person. Okay. It, it, well, and so to that, I, I think that you say rule it out, and, and most of the time that's not what's going on there. Although I think we may jump to the conclusion that it is. So, so how can we bring some rigor to that so we're not um, jumping to a bad conclusion? Good. So the reason we feel like it's that person is because humans are really good at pattern recognition, particularly when it involves some kind of potential danger. And we might notice that every time we go to a meeting and that person is there, we feel tense or on edge. And so we assume it's something about that person. Mm, Okay. It's like hearing the rustle in the grass and you jump away before you even look to see what was there. So that's why we attribute it to a person. We think, as I said before, they're against me or something like that. They don't want me to get what I want. They're gonna favor my colleague over me. It will be unfair. These are all things that we think of as existential and that they'll ruin us. And unless we can engage our curiosity to find out what's really going on, we can just stick with that for the rest of the time we work with that person. Years. I mean, there are people who literally have conflict for longer than a decade, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. 
Certainly. Well, and, and that's that's well said because there's something emotional. So it it really connects inside of us. And it happens again and again when we're with them. But it could be related to any number of factors, like they have, I don't know, a cologne <laughs> that's that's uh, that we find repulsive, you know, consciously or subconsciously, or they came out strongly on an issue that negatively impacted us, but they may well have had excellent reasons for doing so, and we just are kind of the collateral damage. Correct. It's really a tough thing to pull back from those reactions and try to figure out why am I responding this way? So if you don't mind, I'm going to go on a different thought pattern and say that one of the things to do, because your example of the cologne is so spot on, like who cares? But that's the kind of thing you wrinkle your nose. That signifies to your brain, nose wrinkling, I smell something bad. That is an archetypical neural response that often comes with a feeling of disgust. And if you have a feeling of disgust about a colleague, why would you ever try to work well with them? So it's actually worth checking your physicality and actually relaxing your body and grounding yourself before you try to think logically about what's going on, because we jump to conclusions all the time. So pausing and letting that go. Oh, I hate that cologne. Oh my goodness, Pete, you made me think about a guy I used to work with. I hated his cologne. This was when I was quite young and I ran a sizable operation. And he reported to me, and I don't think he liked it very much. And he would come and stand over me. I mean, he was almost a foot taller than I was. And he would stand over me and I hated his cologne. And it is so funny how you brought that back. So you see how strong these things can be. Okay. So, so we rule that out by checking ourselves and our patterns and, and seeing, hey, what's really going on here? And is this person truly a bully or a narcissist or socially inept in a big way and, and assuming that, hey, you know what, they're okay. I just don't like their views. Where do we go from there? So then it's looking at what is the issue at hand that we actually need to be solving? Is there a real problem or are we just feeling like we have a problem? And digging into whatever is in the situation that we're confronting, and not just the top layer of it, which might be about, oh, take a classic sales and marketing versus operations and production kind of conflict. Is that a good one to use? Oh, sure. Okay. So if I'm on the sales and marketing end, in general, I want the production department to do whatever I need to keep my customers happy so that they will continue to buy, be happy with me as their salesperson. I'll be successful. The company will have money. And from my perspective, everything will be perfect. But if I'm the operations or production person, I'm worried about she wants all these variances. She needs stuff customized that's very expensive. I don't have the right 
tools or I don't have the person with the right skill set to take care of it. So how am I supposed to get that done? It's going to be too expensive. We can't do it. So you often see this kind of charged up salesperson and you can just picture the ops person with their arms folded, rolled back in their chair from the table. And then you need a deep discussion about how is it that we want to serve customers? What are our goals? What are our values about could be anything from the level of service we provide and how we want customers to think about it to the requirements for gross margin. And all of these are factors in the workplace that are a kind of mental overhead. We think about them, but we don't necessarily think about them while we're having the argument. But if we could lay them all out, then we might be able to make choices together about what's the best mix of factors. Okay, certainly. And so then that, that step there, asking the right people the right questions to get that, you know, what are some of the best ways to do just that? So this depends on who you are. For me, as an outsider coming to diagnose these things, I often have access to anybody who's involved, and that's really what you need. Because what sometimes happens is you'll get two department heads who are accusatory about the performance or dedication of each other's teams, and the two of them are having an argument, and what you really need to do is to back off from that and actually ask the team members what is and isn't working for them. Okay. And at some level of granularity, because you often find out it is very small stuff. You know, somebody has to submit a form on Tuesday when their information is never available till Wednesday. Perfect, yep. And you gotta get granular, as you said, or else you wouldn't know that. And you've gotta have that deep understanding of what exactly is their life and work like in practice. Yes. So in general, the lower in the organization you can get these things resolved, the better off you are. But there's often a countervailing pressure that is coming from more senior leaders based on their trying to defend their own turf and their own beliefs about how things should be. And sometimes they don't let the people who are actually doing the work work it out. Okay. Thank you. Well, let's hear about the third step, making sure folks are aligned. So that is really about ensuring that there is clarity about what the responsibilities are, who has which ones, where they're shared, and that people agree that they're going to operate on that basis. They have to understand what's expected of them and commit to delivering on it. If you don't have both those things, the understanding of what's expected and the commitment to deliver, it's very likely that somebody's going to drop the ball at some point. Okay. So in practice to to get that, is it just as simple as, you know, at the end of the meeting, it's like, okay, here's my understanding of the next steps, A, B, C, D. This person's doing this by then. And that person's doing that by this time. Are we all good? Is that what you do in practice or, or how do you recommend getting that alignment? So that often is enough if the stuff is straightforward. I believe that at the end of every meeting, there should be a readout 
just of that kind, either at the meeting or immediately after, so that people can then say, oh, no, no, that's not what I understood. I thought we said X. Or if there is a one-on-one -on -one kind of meeting, somebody should send an email after that saying, here are the things we said we were going to do. Is that what you meant? I think that kind of documentation is extremely helpful not only for the kind of yeah, 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 that's what you said, audit trail that some people use it for, but actually to lay out what we committed to each other. Because when it's clear, say something goes wrong, then we can come back and say, I know I committed to doing these things. Here is the outside influence that got in my way. Can you grant me extra time, extra funding, etc.? Or can we negotiate a new agreement? All right. That sounds good. Okay. And then so the, the next step is finding allies at all levels. How do you recommend we do that? So this will sound so simplistic as to be almost dumb, but the first thing is actually to behave nicely to everybody. <laughs> that makes sense. No one wants to ally with the, uh, the treacherous. <laughs> Correct. And people don't, this is so funny, Pete, people don't like to be known as the friend of the creep. So... It just makes sense to have good behavior. When you have good behavior and you show interest in your colleagues, then people think, oh, that's a nice person. And so they're more inclined to want to be agreeable and support you. So that's one thing. A second thing, though, is looking for ways to help other people and back them up. If you're in a meeting and your colleague makes a statement about something, say, that isn't going very well to the senior leadership, and you know it's true, instead of hiding in the corner, hoping the senior leadership won't be mad at you, if you back your colleague up when she's in a tight spot, when you need something, your colleague is much more likely to ride to your defense. Yeah, that's very clear and real because the temptation is like, oh boy, <laughs> I don't want to get in the middle of this. But it, it may not be so scary. It, it could just be as simple as like, yes, oh, I've observed similar things. You know, like, hey, there it is. That's exactly the right language. It's backing up the factual quality, not necessarily say your colleague was getting a little intense as she was explaining this thing because it is so important to her team, making sure her area is well run, et cetera. And we've all been in a meeting where we heard that sound in somebody's throat that says this is really important to them. Can you make it for us? Oh, I don't know. I, I would have to get really tense and talk for a while and start to sound kind of a little louder and with a little bit of edge, you know, like when it's really important to you and it's urgent and you think someone's not listening. Was that all right? Mm, that's pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> okay. See, I don't like making that sound. It makes me tense because you only make that sound if you feel under threat, which is part of how you got into a conflict in the first place. So... We get that kind of intensity when we feel like we have to justify ourselves and we don't have confidence that we'll be heard. And if you have a comrade at arms who says, oh, yes, I've observed the same thing. Isn't that interesting? Without a charge on it, then the senior leadership doesn't hear this sense of danger and threat. 
so they don't have to minimize the issue. They can just say, oh, that's interesting. We weren't aware of it. Give us some more evidence. And then there may be no conflict at all. That's something an ally can do for you. Lovely. And then the final habit is to teach new habits. Final step is the teach new habits for managing differences. What are some of your your top habits you recommend? So a couple that I love, really love. One is what I and now numerous of my clients call playing an elephant card. You know, the expression of the elephant in the room. And very often people will be in a meeting and it's like there's a silent agreement that we're not going to talk about a certain thing, even though we know it's the real problem. That's sometimes called an undiscussable. And when there is an undiscussable issue in the room, whatever else happens around it, you're not dealing with the real thing. So there may be a stated agreement that includes, just as you said before, the dates and the costs and the who's doing what to whom and all of that. But everybody knows it's not real because we didn't talk about the fact that you can't actually count on Joe. So everybody knows it's not really going to happen. And that's a kind of passive aggressive culture where we don't want to say publicly the thing we're all afraid of. So playing an elephant card means there's something up we're not talking about and we know we need to talk about it to move on. That's one favorite. Another thing that I do very, very often is I ask, and this is a different circumstance. This is a circumstance in which you and your team are together and basically you're complaining about the other team or the other person. And to break that habit, I like the habit of asking, why would a smart person do a stupid thing? Because as soon as you acknowledge that the other person has a real reason for whatever makes them seem to be against you, then you can uncover what their issue is and the real content, and you don't just continue in the fight. And now, is that a question you ask internally to yourself or out loud? Oh, I use that all over the place, internally and aloud, <laughs> because we've all been in circumstances where somebody does something that just makes no sense. And it could be a very small thing. I'm thinking of a client who he's just not skillful with his language in the sense that he can't seem to hold back. He interrupts everybody. So people sometimes treat him as the disliked person. They don't want to be with him because he has this constant stream of language and nobody else can talk and his issues have to be handled, etc. But when you ask, not his direct colleagues, but other people who have to deal with him and think he's a problem, he's so smart. Why would he have that stupid, annoying habit? Why would he do that thing? And then they realize it's because he cares about it so much. So then they can forgive him a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. Lovely. So that really reframes things in a, in a great way. And I'm curious, we talked about, I, I love to hear good phrases and, and bits of verbiage that can make a world of difference. And one was, you know, why would a smart person do a stupid thing? Are there any other key questions or statements you think are, are just powerful and you, you recommend people use them again and again? Oh, yes. <laughs> Here's one I love. 
I'm smiling because I am picturing one group of clients that quotes it all the time, which is that's accurate, but incomplete. Okay. We all see things from our perspective and it is totally accurate, but there's more there. And so it's worth going to look for it. And that little phrase reminds us that we have to take things into account besides our own opinions. Okay. Well, well, Liz, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think one of the best, I want to give you one other habit, if I may, and that's to think about how the other person will actually hear what you're planning to say to them, because they won't hear it the way you hear it, because they're not you. So to remind yourself that before you go to the meeting and take something on, to really look at it from the other person's perspective and how would your language play and how will your tone play and how can you reorient yourself to speak or write or communicate in a way that sounds at a minimum neutral, but if at all possible, caring and concerned about the other person you will generally get a better hearing. All right. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? Yes, there are two that I like a load. One is Maya Angelou, who said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. So that gives you credit for earnest effort. But as soon as you know it could be better, you're obligated to do that. And that relates to a Talmudic quote that I love, which says, you are not obligated to finish the work. Neither are you free to desist from it. You have to do your part. You may not be able to fix everything, but if it's in your control, you have to step up and do it. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? You know what I like? I like the idea of 1% improvement. Are you familiar with this? I like the compounding there. Yeah, yes, that it compounds and that doing a little bit just adds up in a way that having a great idea but not getting to work on it doesn't get you anywhere. And how about a favorite book? I recommend The Art of Possibility, which is by Rosamund Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander. He has a very, very well-known TED Talk. And it is about looking at the world from a perspective that there is hope and possibility and resources that you didn't know you had, and that you're probably doing better than you think if you let yourself. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My website is great. If they come to my website, there's loads of material that may be useful to your audience, Pete, because I've been writing a blog for 10 years. And they'll also find a free ebook there that's about the interpersonal aspects of conflict at work. Okay. And you have a final challenge or, or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say that there is always something you can do. That the one thing not to do is to feel helpless and hopeless. Even if you have to pause, sometimes the one thing to do is to stop in your tracks and not react at that moment, but that there is something that you can do that will improve the situation. All right, Liz, this has been a treat. I, I wish you much luck in all your adventures. 
It's been so nice to talk to you. I really appreciate it. I really appreciated Liz's take on how you can associate bad feelings with a person and then you just have those feelings when you encounter that person and to watch yourself on that and, and to refocus on the content, the issue at hand. So I think that can be quite handy to, to check yourself before you wreck yourself, if you will. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP603. If you have not already, I encourage you to push that subscribe button. You'll automatically get episodes from each and every guest, like our next one, Kathy Caprino. She has got some really good perspective on how to boost your bravery and reduce the power gap. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.